This is the Geek Therapy Podcast. Join Lara Taylor and me, Josue Cardona, as we celebrate how geek culture is saving the world. Currently, we're focusing on a geek therapy library. The library is designed to help fans communicate through their favorite movies, books, and games. It's a resource for therapists, teachers, and parents to find a way to work with or talk about important things through awesome content. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Geek Therapy. I'm Oswek Cardona, and with me is Adam Johns. That's me. And Adam Davis. That's me. So uh, we just went to PAX East. We got to hang out. It was fantastic. Oh, it was super fun. We got to see each other in person for the first time. We met the first time. Was that like three years ago, Oswek? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. It was we, a while ago. We had a video chat like three years ago, and then it took us three years to actually meet in person. Yeah. Yes. I was not disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Were we taller or shorter in person than you expected us to be? Both. <laughs> I'm, I'm the tall one. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not get to see your panel. Um, you guys went to my panel, and I didn't go to your panel at PAX East. Yeah, just messed up. So we, we up. hold it against you a little bit. Yeah. Good. Yeah. No, never forgive me. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that you you guys recorded it, and we have the audio here, and we can we can share with everybody who who wasn't there. And I'm I'm glad to do that. And I know that it, I think it was like cut off at the beginning. So can you guys kind of set it up and, and tell us what it was about and kind of maybe if we missed anything at the beginning? Yeah, so this was our first time presenting at PAX East, and we had our largest audience yet of like 400 people. And I was nervous, so I forgot to hit the start button of the recording at the very beginning of the panel. <laughs> and then I remembered it when I was like in the middle of telling a story. So um, <laughs> our recording misses the intro, um, but uh, so when people are listening to it, they should. we'll give you like a, a quick update about what happened in the panel before uh, what you guys are going to hear. So at the beginning of the panel, we, uh, we talked about how... Well, picture, picture like a room, it's full of enthusiastic people. And there's people in costumes, and there's there's sort of people that are that are coming in, and they're they're sort of looking at us with like a, a doe-eyed, <laughs> um, like waiting in anticipation for us to start. And I'm like sweating. <laughs> um, no, I was, I was cool. But yeah. uh, so at, at, the, at the beginning of the panel, um, we talked about how the the. the the plan for the panel was we're going to talk about the past, present, and future of therapeutic gaming. And that uh, Adam and I, we thought when we started Wheelhouse Workshop that we were the first ones to come up with this brilliant idea of using role-playing games intentionally for therapeutic purposes. And it turns out what, what we've learned over the last several years of doing this is that we're not the first person to come up with this idea by a long shot, by, by decades. There have been people doing this kind of work all over the country. And so what we talked about in our panel was our journey learning how to use role-playing games therapeutically and how that probably mirrors most people's experience. People who thought they invented it had probably a very similar experience to ours. So we told our journey of creating Wheelhouse Workshop, some of the stories along the way. And essentially the the journey sort of starts off with, um, we met in grad school and we were working for an organization that was using uh, tabletop role-playing games and improv groups as sort of drop-in social skills groups. Um, and at the time, Adam was uh, studying drama therapy and was getting an opportunity to really see how those drama therapy techniques could be used really effectively with the improv groups, um, really focusing on specific skills. So if if they needed to work on eye contact, you could play games that, that really focused on eye contact or body awareness. Um, and meanwhile... You know, he would run the the improv groups starting, and then would pl- run the the Dungeons and Dragons group right after that. And um, we started to see a lot of opportunity 
for many of the exact same things that we could use in the in the Dungeons and Dragons groups. So then we started playing with Dungeons and Dragons the same way we were playing with the improv groups, and we started making lots of discoveries largely by accident. And that's basically where the the panel audio cuts in is a story that we tell about some of these discoveries we made um, at the very beginning of our time using RPGs intentionally. I'm glad that you guys brought up the fact that you you thought you'd made, like you you were onto something brand new and then you find out, oh, lots of people have done this (laughs) before. Yeah. (laughs) And and for for a lot of what what I've I've done, um, I've been able to go back and see some of those things because there were books written and there were some things written online but not a lot so it was it was mostly just in the form of published books you know in the 90s and, and early 2000s mm-hmm. so i really feel like by by doing you know this this presentation is also on youtube right now and um by by providing the audio you know doing youtube doing podcasts this is the 2017 version of you know being able to share that information and and, and kind of build that community so it's it sounds like you know I think it's a it's a good idea for all of us who are doing this type of work to do I don't know more more media stuff maybe maybe more podcasting <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> you know so people learn <laughs> about what's I, uh, what's going on in the in I mean I think we're doing really cool stuff it's it's like the whole reason why this podcast started was to for for people like us to to share those stories. I, t- I totally think that's true. And actually, we, we really talk about, in, in the panel, actually, we talk about um, the idea that of how important it is that we as a community are all contributing and talking with each other and sharing stories and, and uh, publishing and creating um, awareness around the many good things that we do. And one of the, the things that we have seen so much of is um, that we hear all of these stories about other people who also believe that they've invented this. And the challenge is, um, they never told anybody or that were they they only ever told you know the people who were closest to them and now finally we're getting a chance to reach out for for people like you Jose, or or other people who are finally really stepping up and saying here's what I do and here's how amazing it is um, and that's incredibly important um, and those those achievements should be celebrated and announced to the world it's also a sharing of ideas, you know, like we learn so much even from just the casual conversation of, oh, like, well, did you try it like this? Or I once tried this and it worked really well for mm-hmm. this type of uh, patient or client. And I don't know, those those small moments are like we can we can learn so much from each other. One of the first episodes of Geek Therapy um, that I was super excited about was, you know, someone reached out to me and said, hey, I, I caught wind of your show and I just wanted to tell you that I'm like 30 years old now, but or I, th- I think he was in his 20s. Um, I recorded this a couple years ago. And he said, yeah, when I was a kid, I had this experience with a psychologist who used Batman comics with me. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking like 15 mm-hmm. years before I even had that idea. You know, someone did that and, and he was able to talk to me about what an effect it had on him still 20 years later. And, I mean, we can create that now. Like, we can create that conversation and, and this you know, log of, 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 like you said, accomplishments, but it's more like, it feels, it's like these, these small experiences. Again, they're just like learning, learning experiences that I think are really, really important to share. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that Adam and I set out to do from the beginning. We've spoken now 11 different times around the country about using RPGs therapeutically. And we've seen a lot of people who have been doing this in their own little silo somewhere without really getting an opportunity to talk about it or share their ideas. And a lot of people 
who want to start doing this, they, they give up. They don't keep doing it. There's a lot of other pressures to keep it from really taking off. And so one of our goals in talking about this is really trying to provide people uh, the sort of extra push to keep going, to see that it's possible to do this kind of work and that it's really, really powerful. And yeah, one of the, this is validating. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, your podcast actually fits into a pretty important piece to that, which is really sharing with people in, uh, around the world and people who are, who are interested in and who are engaged with the idea that, yes, this is absolutely possible. And not only that, but you're not alone. Uh, there are other people who are interested in this. There are other people who also want to collaborate and want to talk with you. Um, and getting that word out is so important. Yeah, and I, I love the episode that you guys did um, with me. And you know, it was a two-parter. We did one half here, one half on rolling for change. And you talk about your backstory and all that. And I'll put links in the show notes because that's a really, really fun episode. And yeah, I mean, it, again, it's so important to go out there and give these presentations. So I'm very glad to to help you guys share it here and make it available for people to listen to in their car or while they're walking their dog or doing the dishes, anything. If, if you're walking your dog right now listening to this podcast, go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, amazing. So many people. That's crazy. The power, the magic of podcasting. I just wanted to see if that would work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So how, can people, um, so how can people get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? So they can come to our website, wheelhouseworkshop.com. We also have a Facebook a page that's pretty active, uh, an email newsletter at our website, wheelhouseworkshop.com. We're also pretty active on Twitter at, at wheelhousews. Um, you can also email us at contact at wheelhouseworkshop.com. Um, and we love hearing stories or getting a chance to talk with people who are, are doing similar work or interested in similar work or just played D&D when they were a kid and it helped them. Um, we, we absolutely love connecting with people over all of that stuff. Yeah, we so. actually just had a, a really long phone conversation or a video conversation with someone from Australia. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning their time, and <laughs> they, they made, made some time to video chat with us across, across the ocean. Yeah, so definitely contact us for pretty much anything. We'll pretty much talk to you about anything. <laughs> we're pretty lonely. <laughs> all right, so reach out to them for anything at all. <laughs> All right, and so here's the audio of their PAX panel, their PAX East panel in 2017. What was the title of the panel? The official panel title was Please Don't Punch the GM, More Adventures in Gaming Therapy. The way that I've, I've titled it on YouTube and the way that I'm going to keep calling it is the past, present, and future of therapeutic role-playing games. So what should I call this episode? The past, present, and future of therapeutic <laughs> role-playing games. But what if I want to call it Don't Punch the GM? Yeah, you can, you can do too. both of those things. The official title was Please Don't Punch the GM More Adventures in Gaming Therapy, but I think the PAX publication just called it Please Don't Punch the, the GM Adventures in Gaming Therapy. So, you know, it's the Wild West. Do whatever you want. <laughs> there are no rules. <laughs> All right, here's the audio. One of my favorite early stories is I had this group of adventurers that needed to get into a goblin stronghold. And the goblins, of course, did not want to let them in. So the the one particular player decided he was going to advocate for himself to the goblins by telling him what a hero they, they were because they just saved the world from this lich king. And um, so he, one of his other members in the party cast the spell tongues on him so he could speak fluent goblin. And then he was telling the story of the campaign from day one um, to these goblins. And he was doing a pretty good job of self-advocating. But I know as his facilitator that this is a kid who's really working on those self-advocacy skills, really working on sticking up for himself. So I know that he needs a little more of a challenge to feel successful. 
And so I decide that the spell tongues is going to run out. So now, instead of speaking fluent goblin, he's speaking fluent gibberish. <laughs> and the goblins, played by me, kind of give him a look and then start ushering them out the door. They're not going to let them into this stronghold. So the player realizes he needs to rise to this challenge. And he kind of scrunches up his face and pushes himself back from the table and stands up and proceeds to tell the rest of the story in full mime. <laughs> and so he, he gets up and describes how they had a sword fight with the minions of the Lich King and then they used this black onyx spearhead and stabbed it into the body of the Lich King and then it dissolved into acid and melted away the coffin and he breaks into a full sweat and I as the goblins now just look at him with wow what an amazing story you just told come on inside free room and board um, and this player came back to the table with just this, this absolute look of beaming pride on his face how well he had, had, had self advocated for himself and I realized in this moment that social skills like any kind of skill require a feeling successful and the only way you can feel successful is if you are challenged and it's my job as the game master to set that challenge level exactly where the player needs it in order to feel that success. And we've learned essentially that, that like that idea of having to build on those successes has become a huge part of our model. But not only can we do it that way, but we can do the opposite. And we can take the challenges of the players and put them on the characters. In a lot of those early days, we didn't have any intake forms. Uh, so we didn't have any idea what kinds of challenges we were going to have coming into our groups. In fact, we didn't actually know even how many people were going to be there or what their ages were going to be. So Adam and I had to plan our groups at the start of every quarter pretty flexible. In one instance, we were planning the very, very classic tavern meetup where all the players are going to uh, meet together in one big group. We normally split into two tables, but in this case it was going to be one big group so we could figure out who would mesh well with who. And we actually had so many people that we couldn't fit them all around the table, so we all met on the ground. Um, we sat on the ground and we checked in as one big group. And it was classic, they would come into the tavern and they would put their weapons into a magically sealed chest so they're not walking around a tavern and carrying weapons around. Um, and so everybody came in, they put their weapons in, they, they sat down, they got soup. We don't um, serve alcohol in our campaigns, so they, everybody drinks soup from mugs. So everybody's coming in and getting whatever soup they'd like from Seamus, the soup tavern keeper, and uh, drinking their soup from mugs. And then all of a sudden, skeletons burst from the floor and from the walls and start attacking the party. And the players, we went around and said, what do you do now that they're skeletons? And they did all sorts of things, pick up chairs or hit skeletons with chairs or cast spells or protected the other soup tavern uh, patrons. And we got around to one player who held up his hands like this and said, I summon my weapons to myself. And he had designed his character with runic tattoos on the insides of his arms, which he could activate in order to summon his weapons. And I said, it doesn't work, they're sealed in a magical chest. And then he clenched his fists, and he got really angry, and he started speaking in very short phrases, and he says, I can't summon my weapons to myself, and my character is totally pointless, and if my character is pointless, then what am I doing here? I don't know what, I, what the point of this is. And I'll never forget, Adam turned to him, and he goes, yeah, your character is really mad. What does he do next? And the player unclenched his fists, and he calmed down, and he said, I ripped the arms off the skeleton in front of me and I beat him with his arms. <laughs> and I said, yes, that totally works. You absolutely do that. You beat him to re-death with his own arms. 
and we've, we've always known that players really strongly connect with their characters. But what we've learned is that as the game master, we can play with the emotional and cognitive distance between the player and the character. Um, and we can let the character own things like frustration or anger or other challenges so that the player doesn't have to. Um, and then the player gets an opportunity to step back and make different choices for their character than they might have made for themselves in that same situation. And as we realized just how much players were identifying with their characters and how we could play with that, we started to design really specific in-game scenarios that were targeted towards doing that. Um, also in these early days, I had, um, in my group of adventurers, I had two players who would just argue all the time, um, like literally from before the game started through the entire game until they got into their respective cars to go home, the entire time. Um, one of them really liked to plan everything out in advance and roll every insight check, every uh, search three times, everything, and the other one liked to stab things. <laughs> So uh, naturally you can see there'd be some conflict. And so I decided that, in, that the party was going to come across uh, a group of bandits who had captured a two-headed Etten, which is like a large monstrous humanoid. And the group wanted to free the Etten to see if it would help them in attacking a castle. And so they dispatched the bandits, and when they freed the Etten, they realized that the two heads of the Etten had conflicting personalities that mirrored the two conflicting personalities of my players. Um, so one of them was a meticulous planner, and the other one was a hot-headed improviser. And I was playing both heads with my hands up behind the Game Master screen like this, and they would slap each other. <laughs> and the players, before this Etten would join them, they had to mediate this conflict. So my a uh, hot-headed improviser player would have to um, tell his corresponding Etten head, whose name was Maverick, that sometimes you got to, you know, slow things down, plan things out a little bit more, and my other player, the meticulous planner, would have to tell his corresponding Etten head, whose name was George, that sometimes you got to get your hands dirty, you got to take some risks, you got to get in there. And after a while, they would mediate this conflict, and the Etten joined them to attack the castle, and it. it didn't work magic overnight. The players would still argue, they would still have some of their similar corresponding conflicts. But whenever they would start doing that, my hands would pop up from behind the Game Master screen, <laughs> slapping each other again. And they would realize what was happening. I was giving them a hint that they needed to work on their conflict. And then they started to um, actually work together pretty well. And over time, these two players that started off as bitterest of enemies actually exchanged phone numbers to hang out outside of group which, as we run social skills groups, we deal with a lot of socially isolated young people. And to exchange phone numbers to hang out is the gold standard of all of the work that we do. <laughs> so obviously we saw a lot of rich depth in the work that we were doing. And the company that we were working for wasn't really interested in us diving into the rich depth of this. They, they wanted it to be more of like a casual drop-in social group. So, um, so we left, we made our own company. Um, we did all the good things that you do when you make your own company. We got a business license and we made a website and we figured like, field of dreams, they would come. Turned out. Uh, the world wasn't quite, quite ready for an organization just purely dedicated to the systematic and intentional use of therapeutic role-playing games. <laughs> so we waited a long time before we could get our first clients in the door. But we weren't doing nothing, we weren't sitting on our hands. Actually, Adam and I were both finishing grad school at the time, so uh, we were still learning a lot of uh, really interesting theories and being able to apply those theories, learning a lot about running a business. Um, I was testing a lot of this with my personal D&D group, uh, much to their chagrin. Uh, <laughs> and, and we were networking. We were meeting up with PTA meetings and things like that. 
I'll tell you this, there is nothing more soul-crushing than speaking about the thing you love more than anything else in the world into the cold, dead, shark eyes of an exhausted principal. <laughs> he told us very clearly that he would not recommend our services to any of their parents or kids. So we like picked up all of our books that we had brought with us. And, like, A little figurines. Uh, figurines and like walked out and thanked them for the meeting. But we didn't stop. And eventually we did get, it's a social skills group, so you have to have three people to start. Um, so eventually we did get enough people. We got our three people. And then we were able to expand and get more people in, and now, we're, now we run five groups a week. Um, and we've learned a lot in that time. Not just about running a business and advertising, which frankly are things that anybody running a business should learn. But we've also expanded and clarified our model. We learned a lot about how to apply it. And now that we see so many kids, we see a lot of kids with similar issues, which means that we've been able to repeat curriculum, which has been really, really nice as we're running five games a week, um, that we can find things that work for specific populations and reuse them. Um, we have a lot of players that come to us with autism-related challenges. And so um, oftentimes people living with autism struggle with um, changing of routines, um, unpredictability, and also understanding social cues. So I had a group of players who uh, were living with some of these challenges. And their group of adventurers um, were kidnapped and forced into a pocket dimension called Battle Realm, where they, had to, uh, they were forced to fight in gladiatorial combat for the enjoyment of spectators. And naturally, they escaped into the service tunnels underneath Battle Realm to discover that the, uh, the labor force behind Battle Realm was a bunch of brainwashed fairies. And so uh, they discovered that these fairies were brainwashed because they were uh, eating their daily rations. Um, there were these granola bars that all the fairies were eating, and there were posters on the wall in the service tunnels that said, feeling sad? Have a ration. Is work too hard? Eat your rations. So they got the hint. Um, and they cornered one of these fairies, uh, whose name was Fozzie Wilo 47. <laughs> and um, they, they told him that the... the granola bars, their daily rations, were why he was brainwashed and he should stop eating them. And to their surprise, the, the fairy did not want to stop being brainwashed. The fairy said, no, no, here in Battle Realm, I know everything that's going to happen every day. I know exactly what to expect. There's no question about where I'm supposed to be and when I'm supposed to, when I'm supposed to be there. So he didn't want to go outside. He said, I'm scared of what's out there. I don't know what it is and I don't want to do it. And these players who struggle with some very similar themes in their lives, said, no, don't be scared of what's out there because that's where life is. The unpredictability of life is the magic of life. And this brainwashed fairy agreed to go with them and stop being brainwashed and try to explore the world and see what happens when you don't know what's going to happen every day. And uh, they renamed him Jim. Uh, so Jim would follow them around and ask them questions about the way the world works. And he would say, uh, hey, guys, because he had a Mickey Mouse voice. Um, uh, can I ask you a question? Why is it that people, so sometimes they say one thing, but they mean something completely different? And they would say, I know. It's confusing. And these, these players got to see their struggle normalized. And they got to make friends with their own experience and be experts for someone else who's going through the same journey that they are going on. And as much as we've gotten a chance to really plan and, and build curriculums, as you guys know, being a DM, you have to remain pretty flexible. And players are always going to do something that, that is pretty off the wall. Um, 
in a recent new group of uh, players, we had um, we often have in most groups at least one player who's dealing with hyperactivity and ADHD-related challenges. And we had one player in that group, we'll call him Mike. And Mike came in and said, I want to make a character, but my character is hyperactive and has impulse control issues. And we learned very early on that it was an appropriate character for Mike to play. <laughs> and this group of players, we put them in a challenge room that Adam and I have used many times before. And I'll, I'll describe it for you. Uh, you walk in, and you can see on the other side of the room, there is a metal door. And the metal door has no doorknob. In one corner of the room, there is a giant troll of legend who appears to be imprisoned there. And then on the other corner of the room, there are three unlabeled switches. And it's quickly revealed that one of the switches will open the door on the other side of the room. And the other two switches, when pulled together, will release this troll of legend upon your partner, and then also be released upon the world to, to recap it. And this is sort of supposed to be like a, a logic puzzle meets um, a, a social interaction. You have to talk to the troll and, and figure out which switch is which and how he might be lying to you in order to get released. Um, and as soon as I introduce the puzzle, two of the players in the group pull out sheets of paper and they start making grids and they start talking about how they're going to logically figure out this thing. And Mike says, I run across the room and I pull all three levers like this. <laughs> and no one's ever done that before. <laughs> so I had a decision to make. I can stop Mike from going across the room and pulling all these levers of a clearly poor decision for, for this characters in this party. Or I can let him make the decision, but risk that he might be burning bridges with the other people at the, at the table, the other players. It's a brand new group, and they don't know each other that well. Um, and they're not going to have the patience that Adam and I might have with, with that kind of thing in our group. And so I let him pull the, pull the levers. And immediately the troll is released and runs across the room and grabs Mike's character ready to eat him. And all the other players looked very angry with me. And I said, we're going to pause here for a second. And I want you guys to remember that your characters are different than you. And your characters might make different choices than the choices that you might make. And it's important now that the rest of the party has a chance to decide, what would your characters do here? Would they go through the door and abandon Mike and release this troll onto the, onto the rest of the world? Or would they back up their teammate? Um, would they hold together? Would they try to work to maybe re-imprison this troll? It was impossible for them to beat, by the way. Um, but maybe re-imprison him so that they can they can free their friend. And it took some it took some debate. They they really they really tried to figure it out. But eventually they did decide that they were going to free Mike's character. They were going to re-imprison the troll. They um, they lured him back into the cage with the promise of delicious, tasty children. Um, which, you know, trolls love delicious tasty children, apparently. And uh, they, they freed Mike's character and they, they flipped the switches and re-imprisoned the troll. And at the end of every session we do a checkout where we ask questions about the, the game and give them a chance to reflect on it. One of the other players, not Mike, but a different player, said that he really appreciated what Mike's character did because he struggles with impulse control challenges too. And it made him empathize with Mike's character. and it. That was why they were there. That's why they were in the group, to be able to work on those issues. And even Mike, at the end of that game, said that he wanted the other player's characters to help his character work on how to be less impulsive. And that's, that's awesome. That's exactly what we want to see. A chance to be able to reflect, a chance to be able to have some distance and use your character, use the game, to help improve the skills that you know you're working on and that you know you can, you can build and improve.
mostly brings us up to up to speed. So as Adam and I have had the opportunity to travel around the country and talk about this kind of thing, um, we, we hear from people in the audience that they have been doing this in an after-school program or in their therapeutic practice, and we've had a chance to, to meet with some people and, and hear more of their stories. And I don't have everybody's permission to name drop them up here, um, but I will share with you some, some cool people who are out there doing similar work if you want to reach out to them. We have received permission that you can reach out to them and talk to them too. Um, actually, the group that we used to run is actually still going in Seattle, and Dr. B uh, from Take This is actually running those groups. Um, Take This is, if you don't know about it, is an organization that promotes mental health in, in the gaming and geek industries. Um, I believe they actually have the AFK rooms here at the convention, which are a great quiet place to go to escape the, the hecticness of the con. Um, Take This has done some amazing work, um, and they also have an Indiegogo right now for donating money to, to their cause and, and being able to, to do that. Um, Oh, was it, 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 did it finish? It was a Kickstarter? The Indiegogo got prematurely closed, and they decided to launch a Kickstarter in its place. Oh, so gotcha. Uh, open now, should I uh, It's a Kickstarter, not an Indiegogo. Go to the Kickstarter. They need the funding. Uh, they're a great organization. I totally, totally support them. Um, there's also an organization actually not too far from here in Pennsylvania called the Wadana Group that has done um, using role-playing games with uh, sexually aggressive youth, which is an incredibly hard to work with population. Um, and they are building up and expanding their groups as well. Um, they also have a small con called Save Against Fear aimed at um, role-playing games used for, games of all kinds, I guess, used for um, therapeutic growth. Um, over in our neck of the woods uh, in Spokane, um, in Washington, there's a guy named Hawk Robinson who for the last uh, 10 or 11, maybe even 12 years, has been compiling research for how role-playing games of all kinds, LARPing, uh, computer role-playing games, and tabletop role-playing games can be used for uh, psychological growth and change. And he runs his website, rpgresearch.com, and if you're... Uh, you like to look up research articles online like I do. Um, it's an awesome, awesome receptacle for all kinds of research about role-playing games. He also recently bought himself or bought RPG Research a trailer, which he's been driving around the West Coast. Um, his, his background is in uh, recreational therapy. And he's been driving this trailer around to different treatment facilities so people with mobility challenges and wheelchairs um, can leave the treatment facility and, and roll into the wheelchair to play a uh, recreation therapy-informed role-playing game to help people um, get a chance to get out of the mundanity of their treatment facility and play a role-playing game. It's a really cool project. He has a pa Patreon, and I think he also might have an Indiegogo. Um, but if, if you want to reach out to us, we'll send out links. Um, there's also, early on when we were doing a lot of this work, there was a book that we used, which is um, The Functions of Role-Playing Games, uh, which was written by a woman named Sarah Lynn Bowman. And she has done some amazing work with um, live-action role-player art around the world, um, both for educational use and therapeutic use. Um, and she's gone to, to other countries. It's really, really amazing. And it was one of the, the texts that we essentially used for, for starting out, for being able to really build some foundation in theory. And she's done some super cool stuff with EduLARP, um, like helping doctors improve their bedside manner, um, helping um, educate about the AIDS crisis in the 80s, some really, really cool, interesting social service work that she's doing using LARP. And what we're starting to see now um, that's maybe different over the last couple of decades is that all of these groups and all these individuals are starting to talk to each other um, and starting to share a lot of their models, starting to share a lot of their ideas. 
And because everybody thinks that they invented it, um, they all have different terms for it. So things that, that we may call one thing, another group calls a different thing, and now we're finally starting to build a lexicon and build a, an understanding, a real idea of how this works and what works best. Um, and that is an amazing place to be. Because Adam and I get to speak at all these cons and we get to hear about lots of people who are running after school programs or who are running games uh, in hospitals or who are running games as part of practice. And this is where we get to build up and make it into something that's bigger than, than just us. So here's what we're going to see next. In the next five to 10 years, here's the inside scoop from within the, the very small industry of applied tabletop role-playing games. Um, you're gonna start seeing this applied in a lot more situations. We'll start seeing groups cropping up much more in schools, um, not just for after-school programs that are a nice social place for players to meet um, and for, for students to be able to interact, but also in classrooms as ways to be able to interact and, and uh, experience some of the, the things that you are learning about in a much more in, uh, engaging and hands-on way. Can you imagine role-playing as Hamilton and then listening to Hamilton? for your history class. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of possibility in there. And we're also going to see it used in so many other settings, in hospitals for people who have mobility issues or who have um, challenges that, that, are, that keep them in the hospital for long, long periods of time. And the role playing gives, gives them an opportunity to have some escapes, to have some, some uh, uh, fantasy and, and other ideas to, to live out some other parts of their lives that they're not getting a chance to because of the issues that are going on. But we're also going to see it for issues that are related to different things. Adam and I use, use games specifically for social skill development, but we know that they'd be great for other forms of anxiety, for depression, for um, PTSD. Um, we're looking forward to seeing a lot of people use this with the military, also a very hard to work with uh, population that doesn't get enough, a lot of services. And so we're going to start seeing this kind of work being utilized for, for helping people through those, those experiences. And we're gonna start seeing it with families. We get the amazing opportunity to be the generation of people who grew up with games. And we're finally starting to have kids of our own. We're getting old enough to be able to start including them in our games, in our, in our role-playing games ourselves. So families are gonna start playing the games with each other, not just to have a good time and to interact, but also to learn how to communicate better to learn how to um, have conversations with each other, approach subjects that normally they might feel a little uncomfortable talking about with each other. That being said, raise your hand if you are someone who either has or wants to use role-playing games for an intentional purpose. You'd like to use it in your school, your therapy practice. Awesome. Keep your hands up. Look around the room. Look around. Make eye contact with somebody. These people who... Keep your hands up. These people are not your competition. These people are your, keep your hands up. <laughs> These are not your competition, these are your colleagues. These are your collaborators. So right now, make eye contact with somebody. And give your, like, nod your head. You guys are gonna meet in the hallway after this and you guys are gonna swap stories and share ideas because we are the future of this field. And not only are you gonna share with each other, but we want you to share with us or share with others, reach out. Um, share your stories, but also share your ideas and share your, your, um, uh, the, the things that you want to work towards. Because this is where we're going to build something that is way, way bigger than, than what any of us can build, than what Adam and I can build. Um, we're going to build something that is much, much bigger, that gets to the core of what things like role-playing games can give you. All the amazing experiences that come along with that. Thank you. 
You've just listened to Geek Therapy on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and our other podcasts, visit geektherapy.com.